Scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do, not, who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. We've spoken over the last few weeks about personal discipleship and what that looks like, how when we are as we should be, we are moving and progressing to the next steps of our growth. For instance, we, we engage in worship, and then we connect and grow through a small group, and then we are empowered and strengthened to serve. If we are deficient in any of those areas, God is inviting us to do what is next, to move and progress in this thing we call holiness. Now, holiness is a big fancy word that we use in the church all the time, especially in Methodist circles. And I'm not always sure we know what it means. But what it means is that we grow in the image and likeness of God. That God's desires are our desires. That God's heart is our heart. That people would not be able to differentiate us from the God who loves us. As we move into that way, as we progress into holiness, or as John Wesley would say, perfection, we are challenged at each step. We work best when we're growing. All of our worship, our growth, and our service spring forth from a thankful response to God's prevenient action, to God's action of coming before. We love God because God first loved us. So as I talk about holiness, I don't want you to get confused because a lot of time in the church, when the preacher starts talking about holiness, somebody pipes up and somebody goes, whoa, preacher, you're talking about works righteousness. You're talking about earning your salvation. No, I'm not. I'm talking about for those of us who claim Christ Jesus as our Savior, who have been saved by his grace, that these works that this demand that God puts on us is not a condition of our salvation, but instead a consequence of our salvation. Hear me, church. The demands of God on our life that ask us to grow and to be and to do, they are a consequence of our salvation and not a condition of it. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn God's love. God loves you. 
But once you discover that God loves you, and God has saved you, and God has redeemed you, why don't you do something for God? That's the call of our life. That's who we are as a holiness people. As we move closer to God, I think the one question emerges as a faithful disciple when we come into the full presence of God, oftentimes we ask, where have you been? Where have you been, God? And I think God looks at us and asks the same question, which is what? Where have you been? Where have you been? Both of these things lead us into this deeper relationship, but if we stop there, we've only come part of the way. We've only come a part of the way. Several years ago, my wife and I took a trip without the children, the best kind of trip. What? Right? Children. <laughs> We went without them. We abandoned them with grandparents. We left them over there to do their thing. And we went to Gatlinburg because it was in the middle of COVID and Tennessee was wide open. So we went to Gatlinburg and we went around there and toured around there. And we wanted to go to Klingman's Dome. If you've ever been there, you know that you park at the bottom and you walk your way up to the top. Now, the problem with that walk is that it's like this. It goes almost straight up. Now, friends, I know you look at me and you go, you're in excellent shape. And I am. I'm in fantastic shape. I work out all the time. And I started walking up. And even as I got up to the top, I go, this is far. This is a pretty good pace. And Emily kept looking at me. And, and it's not disparaging on Emily. It's just what she kept saying. She kept going, wait, slow down, stop. And it, along the way, Tennessee officials, Gatlinburg officials realized that people in America are not in the best shape. So they put benches all the way up the path. She goes, I'm going to sit down a minute. And I go, fine. I'm going to walk ahead and I'm going to get there before you and I'll be at the top and it'll be fine. So I leave her, like a good husband, I abandon her on the trail. And I keep going up and up and up, and I get up towards the top of the path, and there's this older gentleman who is having a time. Friends, I wanted him, I, I wanted him to have a life alert brace, uh, necklace because I wasn't sure he was going to make it. He was wheezing and breathing hard, and finally, as I got right behind him, I go, "Keep, you got it. You got it. Keep going. You got it. And he finally turned around and goes, I give up. He goes down, sounds better than up right now. He turns around and he starts down the hill. And I go, don't do it. And he goes, done it, going, <laughs> finish. As I walked around the corner right past where the man said finish, guess what it was? There it was. The watchtower at Klingman's Dome. I ran back around the corner to try to catch him, but that man must have got a second wind because he was all the way back down. He either did that or he died and rolled off the side of the mountain. I ain't, I ain't decided which yet. But if there's anything that I've seen in my life that signified the modern-day church, it was that fella. It was that fella. He was so close to glory. He was so close to beauty. He was so close to completion. And when he got there, it got a little bit harder. And he said, what? Not for me. 
And he turned around and he abandoned the beauty and the glory that was right around the corner. All to be comfortable. Friends, if we walk this walk of personal discipleship, if we worship and we connect in small groups and we serve in the church, but we stop there, guess what? We've turned around before glory. Because God tells us you will never be holy. You will never be what you're supposed to be when the only person that you care about is looking in the mirror at you. When the only person that you're concerned about is you and your personal walk and your personal discipleship and your personal service, if that's all you care about, then you have turned around and you have forfeited the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Forfeited it. I don't want us to turn around before we reach the fullness of holiness. That's why we moved from the sermon series, What's Next, into our next sermon series, which is, which is who are we leaving out? How are we not concerned? We're going to ask the question over the next four weeks, who's missing? And the even more in question, of, are we willing to look for them? And then we're going to ask, whom do we get a pass to exclude? Who can we leave off and be fine with God? And then we'll ask the question, what do we miss by excluding others from our fellowship? When we ask those types of questions, I think it moves us into important places. And then we ask the question, what's negotiable as we extend radical hospitality? So the first step... We're going to ask today, what do we need to do? We need to model God who is a relentless and passionate pursuer, which means that nobody gets left out. That if we're going to be the church, we, we reach out, we branch out, we look for those who are lost. We seek out those who haven't heard the good news. Friends, as I sat in the choir, I think everybody ought to sit in the choir. I do. Because I look out here and I see all the people and I'm thankful for all the people. But you know what else I see? I see empty space. I see empty space. And when I go to bed at night, I don't know if you do this, I do. When I go to bed at night, I close my eyes and I dream of a sanctuary or a founder's hall where every seat is filled. And I do that not for my glory. I could care less if the Methodist Church forgets my name. I'm about to that point in life. And I could care less whether you're excited about the attendance numbers or not. But I look out and I see open spots on pews. And you know what I think? There's somebody out there in the world who feels abandoned and alone. Who feels lost and afraid. Who thinks that the world is filled with bad news. And that there's no good news. And we, friends, are the church of Jesus Christ. Who loves and seeks the lost. A church who needs to see the hurting and invite them into a place where hope springs eternal and who paints a glorious picture about an alternate reality where things of this world aren't the way they are but are how God dreams them to be. So when I go to bed and I dream about pews full, I dream about a people 
who are inspired and passionate about painting a different reality than the one we see out there. The first thing we've got to do is notice. We've got to notice who isn't here, and then we have to turn the world upside down until we find them. So how do we do that? According to Luke's gospel today, the 15th chapter, he gives us some parables, some illustrations that demonstrate what's going to be required of us if we want to turn the corner into the glory of holiness, if we want to be the people that God has called us to be. He tells us some things we've got to do. He says, a lamp is lit. A lamp is lit. When I read a lamp is lit, when I read about the illumination of a room, I think to myself, okay, the church has to have an honest assessment. We have to be honest with ourselves, we have to be honest with each other, and we have to be honest with the world. One of the glorious things that I get to do from time to time, and I say that in the most tongue-in-cheek way, is I get to go into other churches sometimes and run charge conferences. Or I get to help a church. They'll call me in as a consultant type to come in and and help a church. And and I'm not as good at it as other people, but I'll come in there and and I guarantee you. And and here's the thing. I've also been appointed to lots of churches. And the first thing every church everywhere in any kingdom of the world, not this one, not this one, every other church that's ever been and ever was, You walk in there and I walk in there with my family or I go in there as a consultant type and I say, tell me about your church and everybody says the same thing first out of their mouth. What do they say? We're a real friendly place. And their preacher just told me they're demons on earth. The preacher just told me they're mean to everybody, that they tell people, you're in my seat, get up and move. They tell people, you're in my parking spot. They yell at people who don't know which way to walk in the sanctuary. If their kid's loud, they sneer at them and and growl and look at them all ugly and go, there's a place for that kid. And when I say describe your church, they say, what? We're a friendly place. We love everybody. And I go, I just saw you talking about somebody in the foyer. The one thing we got to do is be honest. We've got to be honest. So if we have our growing edges, we've got to be willing to grow. We've got to be willing to be the the seeking and, and church that looks and says, this is who we are. And this is our environment. And if people aren't showing up who are outside, then we've got to change something inside. See, here's the thing. We we can't expect the world to do all the work. We've got to do some work on ourselves. That's holiness. That's an honest assessment. So we've got to light a lamp and we've got to ask ourselves, what might we be doing that sends somebody lost? What might we be doing that runs somebody away? What might the church be doing universally that's causing a stumbling block to the lost people of God to come home? And we've got to work our tails off to overcome it. But that comes with being truthful with each other. And being truthful with ourselves. A lamp is lit and honestly assessed. 
After the lamp is lit, it says that she sweeps to uncover. If you thought the first one was bad, this is the one that's going to hurt your feelings. Sweeping to uncover talks to me and seems to me to be a violent thing. An unsettling of the surroundings, a throwing around of stuff, a moving of stuff. This woman's not doing like I do when I sweep, where I just sweep around things. I've even been known just to sweep around the dog, not even get the dog to move. No, it says she's sweeping to look. She's unsettling her surroundings. We will never be holy And we will never reach those who are outside if we won't turn our church upside down for the outside. Because if we won't, we don't have the heart of God. God was willing to be drastically unsettled for His creation. What does Scripture say? He he could have stayed in heaven, but He left and left His eternal dwelling to come and be like us and to be unsettled for us, to be tiny in a baby form like us, to walk this road in a hard life for us, to die for us. He was unsettled for us. And He looks at the church and says to the bride, He says, bride of me, you be unsettled too. I was serving at one church, and I thought in my life, in my 20-some-odd, 25-ish years of ministry, I thought I'd heard everything. But the one thing I found is when you thought you'd heard everything, just wait around a minute. And so I was in a board meeting one time, and what's the biggest day in the life of the church? It's not a rhetorical question. What is it? Oof, we got some holiness work to do. If y'all don't know, it's Easter, okay? Easter's kind of a big deal. Just, just warning you, this is my first year here, so I just want to tell you, Easter's going to be a big deal. Easter, it comes every year, whether we know it or not, it's coming back around. So Easter's a big deal, and we were in our board meeting at this particular church talking about Easter, and that was probably my first mistake, was talking about it in a board meeting. And as we talked about Easter and talked about Easter, somebody raised their hand and they said this, and this is how you know it's going to go bad. You ready? We've been talking. <laughs> That's where I go, I'll be moving, right? We've been, we've been talking. We've been talking, preacher. And you know, we have a sunrise Easter service every year. And I go, I'm aware. I've been getting up for it. And they go, we've been having it, and all of the real church, notice the language, all of the real church folk already come to sunrise. So we were thinking, let's just cancel Easter and do the sunrise service. Friends, I had to pause a minute so I didn't say something ugly. Back. I said, what? And they go, Let's just do the sunrise service and cancel the other service. It'll be fine. Nobody new's going to show up anyway. I said, on Easter? I go, have y'all ever been to Easter? Do you know what happens on Easter? Like some folks at Easter, I tell them, Merry Christmas. That's how it works in the church. And they go, well, 
I just think we ought to think about our members first and how inconvenient it is for them to come twice on an Easter Sunday. And I said, you can move me next year. I said, but I don't care if you're inconvenienced or not. We have to be willing to be unsettled, to be inconvenienced, to be broken for our brothers and sisters. Because at the end of it, I asked him, I said, on the one day when folk are looking for a church who may not have heard about this Jesus or who hadn't darkened the door of a church in years, that's the day you want them to come to the front door of your church and pull on it and find it what? Locked. Really? No, sir. I believe that we ought to be willing to be unsettled for others. Jesus tells us over and over, you have to put your money where your mouth is. So I ask you, Parkway Heights, what's untouchable for you? What's our golden cow? What's our anything but that? And if we can't reconcile that we might have to lose that, then we'll never reach the amount of people God wants us to reach. We'll never have the type of community that we need to be. We might as well cancel it and shut it all down. Because as holy as we think we are, it shows and demonstrates to the powerful pursuer that is God that our hearts aren't quite there yet. Our God was willing to leave it all if it'd bring one back. So we light a lamp and we honestly assess and we sweep the house violently and we unsettle our surroundings. And finally, we meticulously search. I love how it talks about it over and over in, in this chapter of Luke. Keep it. Keep on it. Don't give up. Keep struggling. I'm always amazed. I heard, I heard somebody say this one time. They said, uh, if, you're, if you're one of those people like me, if I lose something, it drives me crazy. I don't sleep. I don't eat. I don't stop until I find it because I can't check it off my list until I find it. So I'll keep doing it and keep doing it. And when I find people like that, they'll keep doing it. And finally, they'll find it. And I'll look at them and I'll say to them, where was it? And they'll always say the same thing. Funny thing was, it was in the last place I looked. And I go, I hope so. <laughs> the problem is most of us stop too soon. We stop too soon. We give it a going through the motions type way. And God's running and fleeing and pursuing every opportunity. I'm not a hymn expert. If it wasn't in the, the Methodist hymnal growing up, I, I hadn't heard it. But several years ago, I ran across a hymn that, that, that the words were just tremendous. Written for the 15th chapter of Luke. And it says this. There were 99 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. 
Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine, are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night the Lord passed through. Ere he found his sheep that was lost, out in the desert he heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They are pierced tonight by many a thorn. And all through the mountains, thunder riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven, Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, the Lord brings back his own. Rejoice, our Lord brings back his own. Wouldn't it be fantastic if the church would help? Wouldn't it be magnificent if our holiness meant that instead of looking in, we looked out? And we walked hand in hand, step for step, getting broken and beat up all so that we could bring back our own. God's looking. He's looking for you. He's looking for them. No one is outside of His grace-filled eyes. As we close in prayer today, the altar's open. Maybe you feel like you're in deep country. Maybe you feel like you've wandered away. Maybe you're looking at God and going, where are you? And you've heard today God say, where have you been? Maybe you need the grace-filled arms of a Savior who shelters you up and pulls you up. If you do, this altar's open. You can come and pray. Maybe you need to come up here and pray that God would work on your holiness, that He would give you eyes to see who you've neglected and ignored and written off. Or maybe you've just got some burden that's on your heart or some joy that you want to lift up. If you come and pray at the altar Somebody on staff will pray silently over you. If you need more than that, let us know. But would you pray with me before our closing hymn? Lord, we hear the voices of angels who rejoice when the church is the church. When we're honest with ourselves and we move to correct when we unsettle our surroundings and remind ourselves that it's not about us, and when we see the value of those who are here and the value of those who are not, Lord, give us an insatiable hunger that we might, in all of our wanderings with you, see what you see and do what you do. These things we ask and pray in your mighty name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing hymn together?